also always have to remember that the law should not be the only means through which we seek truth and justice. We must employ other means such as faith, such as faith, religion, the traditional systems of reconciliation, negotiation, and we must all be driven by the spirit of Ubuntu, of NIT, in our dealings with our neighbors and with all human beings. And we must be each other's cure. Welcome back to the Humble Jurist Podcast. Today, we are listening to Chief Justice Hassan Jallo, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the Gambia. He spoke to the J. Reuben Clark Law Society at the 2023 Annual Conference. His remarks are titled, Civil Rights and Social Justice, an African Perspective. Take a listen. Thank you so much, uh, Brent, for welcoming me back, back here, back in the United States. A pleasure to see you again and to see so many of uh, uh, other friends and colleagues whom I've met uh, on previous occasions. This dates back some years when I was still in Arusha prosecuting the, the, the Rwanda genocide cases and I happened to receive a delegation um, which came from Utah with James Parkinson, a, a lawyer, and some judges and we got to talking and uh, about the challenges of our work, about bringing justice to a post-conflict society, where in Rwanda in 1994, about a million people had been killed in, in just a hundred days. And uh, we seemed to reach a common understanding, and that's how our, fr our friendship also developed, and our connections with, the, uh, with Utah, uh, with the church, uh, with the community here uh, as well. Come on, understanding based on the fact that the, the doing justice is part of God's work. And secondly also, that it, it is not enough for the state to play its role of holding people to account. We have to find ways of preventing we have to develop strategies of preventing those kinds of mass atrocities. And the, the most important, perhaps, uh, element of the strategy was the reinforcement of the great values that all religions teach us. The great values that religions teach us about basically loving your neighbor, wishing for your neighbor what you would wish for yourself, and being generally a good person. Um, making sure that as we believe in Islam and as I think in, in all the major religions that one needs to focus on three essential things your obligations to God your obligations to family and your obligation to your neighbor those we regard as three essential uh, uh, principles it's interesting of course there's nothing amongst those three which refers to self. Yourself, you don't count among those. It's God, family, and neighbor that, that count, not yourself. So I'm glad to be back here. Uh, since Arusha then, I've had the opportunity to come to BYU uh, to speak. I've had the opportunity to interact with this community. 
And I'd like to thank very much Brent and his group, the, the, church, <coughs> the church of Jesus Christ, BYU School, the Reuben Clark Law Society, which has organized this conference, uh, for, for inviting me over and providing uh, hospitality for myself and my, uh, my assistant who has accompanied me uh, here. I'd also like to recognize the presence of some others we've worked with as a result of this, uh, these meetings. Todd is here. He will, recently came to Banjul with Judge um, Campbell uh, to, to assist us with uh, improving our case management systems. That's one of the major challenges we have when it comes to the administration of justice. You have a system which is inundated with cases, and so we are looking at ways in which judges and magistrates can more efficiently and more effectively uh, manage those cases. Amongst the strategies, of course, we have identified a number of elements. One of them, reducing the inflow of cases into the system. Not everything needs to go into the court. Uh, lawyers and lit potential litigants, we are encouraging all of them to resort more and more to out-of-court settlements, particularly in civil matters. Uh, we are also trying to improve the efficiency of the courts through the use of the introduction of greater technology in the system because it's all manual at the moment, very much manual based. Everything is written down by hand by the magistrate. What's your name? My name is this, all the way down. And that, of course, is very tedious, painful, and, and slow. So we're grateful to Todd and, 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 and George Campbell. I mean, they, they did some excellent presentations and proposals uh, which are currently being looked at by the judiciary of the Gambia. And we're looking forward to them coming back continue uh, with, with that particular project. As we are also looking forward very much to continuing to work with all of you uh, in order to strengthen our legal system and also to, to strengthen uh, the rule of law uh, and justice within the Gambia and, and, beyond, uh, and beyond as well. When I noticed the the main theme is about NAVO uh, at this conference. And of course, as a lawyer, when, when, the, when you talk about NAVO, I think the first thing you, that comes to your mind, you remember the, the, one of the first cases you learned at law school, which is Donovan Stevenson, uh, where Lord Atkin uh, spelled out the, the duties uh, that one owes to one's NAVO, the duty not, not to injure. So when Lord Atkins asked and answered the question, who is my neighbor? Several years ago, in the case of Donovan and Stevenson, he was only recapitulating the established, in my view, the established religious principles of loving and caring for one's neighbor. Caring for our neighbors like we care for ourselves is a sacred duty and a common theme in all major religions around the world, as well as with Islam. The religion of Islam, and I say so because, as Brent has indicated, that's my background as well. Uh, I'm, I'm a Muslim, a caliph of the Tijana sect. But I also have had a lot of exposure within Christianity. I went to a Methodist primary school. I went to a Catholic high school. So I've had the opportunity, uh, and I'm grateful for it, of studying Christianity as well. 
and interacting with, with, with and making Christian friends and continuing to interact with them. So <coughs> religions basically are rooted in caring for others and tolerance towards those who are different from us, whether in terms of faith, in terms of our race, ethnicity, or other differences. And this is something that Islam also recognizes. With regard to the, to the neighbors, our responsibility to neighbors, uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad always emphasized our duty towards neighbors. So much so that he, he, he said at one point that he felt that God was almost going to ask him to make his neighbors inheritors of his estate. That neighbors should be able to inherit, it, inherit our estates, just like our own families, because of the emphasis that God placed on our responsibilities and our duty of care to neighbors. Christianity, so it is true with Christianity. Jesus, a very important prophet of Islam, and he is a very important central prophet of Islam, taught us that we must love God with all our heart and all our strength and all our mind. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And the famous parable of the Good Samaritan remains one of the strongest lessons globally on how to be a good neighbor, how to be a good person. Religion, of course, is a, is a force for good. As members of a community, we must never underestimate the relevance of, faith, of a faith-based approach to resolving conflict and creating a more peaceful world for all human beings. And so it is, it is refreshing to have an organization like the Ruben Clark Law Society for the promotion of peace amongst people from different ethnic or religious backgrounds convening such a meeting. Within the African concept, context, the attitude of tolerance and compassion towards our neighbors also forms the foundation of the African traditional culture. The traditional system of resolving disputes in Africa through communal dialogue is fashioned by society for the purpose of achieving harmonious adjustment of human relations. And this foundation is what I believe must have inspired the African states in the 19, early 1980s, late 1970s into the early 1980s, to actually develop and ratify an African Charter on Human and People's Rights, a charter which is distinct from what the UN system has provided and what other regional organizations, organizations have also provided in, in many respects. Uh, the African Charter is now um, the premier human rights instrument in Africa, uh, all the states, all the member states of the African Union are parties to it. It creates a single mechanism for the enforcement of rights on the continent. And it also groups together civil and political rights, as well as economic and social and cultural rights, unlike what we have in the UN system. Um, also unique among its features is the fact that the Charter provides for not just individual civic and political rights, but also individual duties and responsibilities. Individual duties and responsibilities. Because the, the foundation of the traditional African culture is that we are not just individuals with rights, but we have responsibilities to others as well within our community. And we need to rec recognize uh, those responsibilities. 
it's also unique in, in a fourth sense in that it, it provides for uh, collective rights, or what we call people's rights. Eventually, these have, been, these have established uh, themselves within the international legal system, the right to, to a satisfactory environment, the right to a healthy environment, the right to peace, etc. Those are all part of the, of the African Charter. And the African Commission has held that these are enforceable rights. The individuals can come to the court and, 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 and bring in a, a complaint for the enforcement uh, of these collective rights to a satisfactory environment, uh, to a healthy environment, to peace uh, and to justice. So, but one of its unique features, as I said, is the fact that it, it provides for uh, duties of individuals as opposed to the, the, the rights only, the rights-based approach for individuals. The generally in African society, even before the Charter came into force, we recognized the value of life and community. The sense of responsibility of individuals to the community, also recognized by the Charter, is very crucial in maintaining peace and dialogue. These values are rooted in not in individualism, but rather in the collective rights of the community and the duty of every person to uphold the stability, balance, and the peace of the community. And this is, respected, this is reflected in various aspects of life. At the time of, the drafting, of its drafting and adoption, the Charter was the first international instrument of its kind expressly to include the concept of duties, as I indicated, uh, and also the concept of, of collective rights. And all this flows back into the African concept of what Archbishop Desmond Tutu describes as Ubuntu. Ubuntu. <clears throat> and Ubuntu is an ancient African word, uh, more a southern African word, meaning humanity to others. And Bishop Desmond Tutu explained it in, his, in this way in his book, the book titled No Future Without Forgiveness. No Future Without Forgiveness. He ex explained Ubuntu to mean, quote, that my humanity is caught up, is inextricably bound up in theirs. We belong in a bundle of life. We say a person is a person through other people. It is not, I think, therefore I am. It is rather, I am human because I belong. I belong to a community, I belong to a group. I participate, I share. Thus, a person with Ubuntu is supposed to be open and available to others. Does not feel threatened that others are able and good. The person should have a, should have a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she, she belongs in a greater whole and that the person individual is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished, when others are tortured or oppressed, or when others are treated as if they are less than who they are, unquote. He contends that as human beings we are part of a web or network of interdependent relationships and therefore, we, we are meant to balance one another. From the Southern African concept coming to West Africa, 
you will find the Wolofs who are tradition who inhabit the Senegambia area, Senegal and the Gambia. They have a saying to the effect that in Wolof, Nit Nitai Garabam. Nit Nitai Garabam. It's an Ubuntu paraphrase of Ubuntu. And literally what it means is I am your medicine. I am your cure. You are my medicine. You are my cure. And it's when we interact that we can then deal with our problems, resolve our problems. That man is man's medicine. I am your medicine. I am your cure. You are my medicine. You are my cure. Together, when we interact positively, we cure each other's ailments. We cure each other's deficiencies and we resolve each other's problems. Our peaceful coexistence as neighbors is the recipe for our individual and collective well-being and our welfare. It is incumbent upon all of us to act in the spirit of Ubuntu and in the spirit of NIT, and this means tolerating and extending compassion to other human beings, but most importantly, standing up against the violations of the rights of the human beings wherever they may be. It was this spirit of Ubuntu or NIT which actually led the Gambia to file an action in the International Court of Justice against Myanmar for the genocide against the Rohingya people. The Gambia is a small country, just about two million, as Brent indicated, far away from Myanmar, but it was felt that it had to stand up on behalf of the community against this kind of oppression. It was this spirit of Ubuntu uh, which led the government to do that. And it was motivated by the need to send a clear message to Myanmar and to the rest of the international community that the world must not stand by and do nothing in the face of atrocities that are occurring around us. It is, it is a shame for our generation if we do nothing while genocide and crimes against humanity and other serious crimes unfold right beyond, be, before our own very eyes. The case is still ongoing, and we hope the decision of the court will, will make a, a, a difference. Another method, method that we have developed in West Africa is the joking relationship. You have Ubuntu Southern Africa, you have NIT in, in, in among the Wolof, you have the joking relationship between Gambia, in the Gambia between tribes, one tribe or another, and sometimes within tribes and sometimes within, between families. It's, it's a relationship which develops apparently after periods of conflict between communities, which is now translated into a joking relationship. And so you are free to say whatever it is that you want to say about the others without incurring any offense. So it's a kind of Jojo or World War which replaces World War. And, and it's still prevalent there like the Sereres and the, and the Fullers have it amongst them. And when you have a joking relationship between ethnic groups, it becomes even an offense for you to engage in any physical con conflict with a member of the other group. So your, your conflicts are now reduced to a joking relationship. That, is what, that has been, interestingly, one of, the, one of the tools, one of the strategies which has been developed and which is helping uh, to resolve
some 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 differences within the community. We are all lawyers, or most of us here, I suppose, are lawyers. And the primary responsibility of each of us is to seek truth and justice. But we also always have to remember that the law should not be the only means through which we seek truth and justice. We must employ other means such as faith, such as faith, religion, the traditional systems of reconciliation, negotiation, and we must all be driven by the spirit of Ubuntu, of NIT, in our dealings with our neighbors and with all human beings. And we must be each other's cure. In my career as a lawyer, I have served from different branches of the law as a state prosecutor, as attorney general, briefly as defense counsel, as a judge in international tribunal, and as prosecutor of an international criminal tribunal. I've had the experience, as I mentioned earlier, of serving as the chief prosecutor of the Rwanda tribunal. And that has been really one of the most challenging assignments one has had to undertake because of the enormity of the, of the cases. We are dealing with essentially a million murder cases, although we targeted at the international level some 93 leaders, political, military, diplomatic, civilian. Unfortunately, clergy, clerical, media, uh, and, and other professional leaders who, were, who played a leading role uh, in, the, in the Rwanda genocide. It was challenging because of the magnitude. It was challenging also for technical reasons. But when we closed in 2015, we had successfully brought to account the vast majority of those leaders. That process was not meant to and did not answer the question why what happened in Rwanda happened. It was a judicial process, and rightly so. It was a judicial process concerned with guilt and innocence. But always we asked ourselves, those of us who participated in the process, why, why did this happen in Rwanda? And how can we prevent it from recurring? The most obvious answer, of course, is that the, we must build our societies on the basis, on the foundations of respect for human rights, for the rule of law, for good government, equality of peoples, in order to avoid the, the, the conflicts which lead to such mass crimes. But that is essentially the role of government, especially when it comes to holding to account leaders who instigated these kinds of crimes. I think beyond the role of the leaders, faith organizations, religious leaders, civil society groups have a much, much more important role of trying to strengthen the values that all the, that all the major religions teach us, to love each other, to respect each other, to live together as good neighbors. The genocide in Rwanda did occur, instigated by government. But the reality was that it was actually neighbors who turned against each other. That was the reality. Those who lived side by side on the same street 
they were the ones who ended up wielding the machetes and killing people, killing next door neighbors. So where was this principle of love your neighbor? Government cannot instill that in people. I think it is faith organizations, religious leaders, civic society, professional groups, lawyers, etc., that can help instill those values. And I think that, is, that, that should provide us, the, interna the, the, the global community, uh, with the best strategy of preventing, preventing uh, this kind of mass atrocity, uh, which, which, which then attracts uh, the attention of the, of the world community. So we have a responsibility there. The law societies uh, and all of us to work towards ensuring that what our religions teach us is inculcated in the younger generations and strengthened and that people try and, and live uh, by those principles. Nothing is simpler than love thy neighbor as you love yourself. But it's the most important principle. If you do, and as that's from, from the Bible, or as Muhammad says, that wish for your neighbor what you wish for yourself, then you've provided the most solid foundations for justice uh, and for peace. I thank you very much for your attention.